Have you ever met one of those people who just can't be stopped? It's like they're unstoppable. Yeah, I have. Me too. What's their mystique? Nothing stops these people. Welcome to Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso. You're about to meet some of the most amazing people. They've accomplished their goals despite insurmountable odds. They beat adversity, physical hardship, and traumatic events and emerged triumphantly. They're people just like you and me, and they're winners. Are you unstoppable? Here's Frankie to show you how. Today we are going on a mission unstoppable with a woman who was emotionally hijacked by a skilled predator who lured her into a romance scam of epic proportions. Today, Debbie Montgomery Johnson shares her personal experience with a love that turned into betrayal and financial disaster. So how could this private school graduate college-educated CEO of a successful nutraceutical company, a former intelligence agent with the Air Force, stationed at the Pentagon, no less, with a background as a bank manager and a paralegal, ever give over $1 million to a man she has never met. Well, fortunately for us, she's brave, she's honest, and she is unstoppable. Debbie has taken off her mask of shame, so to speak, and in her book, The Woman Behind the Smile, she shares in detail how she came to be catfished and has since been able to turn a negative situation into a positive. Debbie's on a mission, and I'm going to let her tell you what that is as she teaches others to unmask themselves and learn how to show the real you to the world. Debbie is now living an authentic life, and she states that she's now the woman with a smile rather than the one hiding behind it. Please welcome Debbie Montgomery Johnson. Hi, Debbie. Welcome. Hi, Hi, Frankie. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here today. I'm really excited for you to be here too. You know, this you aren't the first woman that I've heard about this happening to. As a matter of fact, Mary Leal, she was a police officer quite a few years ago. Mary, unfortunately, I will give her uh, rest in peace, Mary. She passed on. But she she had asked me to start the Predator Project with her uh, because her best friend had also had a scam like yours happen to her. And she followed that. She was an Ohio police officer. And she followed that trail to Benin. And she found the guy, kind of like you did in a way. So let's go and, and find out, you know, what what caused you to, to uh, you know, even get involved or do any of this. Now, take us back to just before, um, you know, your life before before your husband passed on. Okay. Uh, for many years, as you said, I was, I was involved in the Air Force. I was an Air Force officer, an intelligence officer for eight years. And I did that after I had been a paralegal um, for a few years. And when I decided to start having a family, I did have two of my boys while I was on active duty, but I found it was really crazy trying to be a, a mom, a, a, the mom I wanted to be and an officer and so involved in things. So after the eight years, I did leave the Air Force and I stayed home as a stay-at-home mom. And during that period of time, you wonder how in the world could I've ever worked full-time when I'm so busy as a mom. But I also, you know, got involved in some mortgage business things and and a whole variety of businesses to try to bring in a little extra money for the family. Um, My husband at the time was also in the Air Force, and then he got out after 14 years, took an early, early out and started his own company. He was doing that. And when he went overseas, he got a, 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 contractor job with the Air Force in Bosnia. When he went over to Bosnia, we did not have any medical insurance. So at that point, my youngest was in about fourth grade. And uh, I decided I needed to get a job that I could have medical benefits. 
And for me, the best thing to do was to go into banking. I was able to get into a, a banking program, a mass management program, and I loved it for, with the bank I was at at the time. Loved it, loved it. Learned a lot about banking, learned a lot about working with people, and uh, got some really good background in, in scamming, actually, because a, a lot of older people do get scammed by mm-hmm. checks sent to them. And I was very good at, at seeing those kinds of scams and helping my older customers deal with those and, and not actually have them participate in those scams. So I did that for a long time. And uh, then I was overwhelmed with retail banking was just very, very stressful a few years ago. And I decided I'd had enough of it. I wanted to take care of my health. I didn't need the stress. Uh, I still needed the benefits. So I took a job right. with the school district. I was a treasurer at the school district and had a lot of time for my children at that point. Uh, didn't make money, much money, but uh, I just needed the benefits because Lou had the company. Right. Yeah. And your comp- your husband's company, um, it, 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 what is it? Um, it has called, something to do with B1 or something? Vitamin it's, B? It's called benfotiamine or benfothiamine, and a lot of people call it. Mm-hmm. It is a vitamin supplement, a synthetic form of vitamin B1, which is very helpful with alleviating or reducing the pain of neuropathy, which is a nerve disorder. Uh, many diabetics have neuropathy, about 60% of them will get it. Folks that have had some sort of chemotherapy will experience neuropathy at some point in their lives. And Lou had diabetes, he had sciatica, he had many issues. And he researched this, it had not been in the United States, um, had been in Canada, but it was, uh, the Germans had it 35 years ago, and the Japanese had it on patent. It went off patent and Lou uh, found it by doing some research. And he brought it to the United States and started our company called BenfoTamine.net Incorporated. And he was running that from the house. It was an international company running, uh, running from the home. And it, it was great. Uh, but again, we didn't have benefits because he was running his own company. And, sure. and private benefits were very expensive. So yeah. uh, I went to school for the, to work for the school board, had great benefits, could get home and do the things I needed to do. And I watched what Lou did, but I never really participated in the business. It was his baby. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, I listened until one day when a wholesale customer, a big wholesale customer of ours said, Lou, what happens if you die? What happens to the company? Because we're your biggest customer. And he looked at me and he said, devil run it. And I laughed. <laughs> I'm like, well, you better write something down because I don't know what, I don't know how to run your I, business. Let me stop you there for one second. All right, were you the kind of wife that, you know, your husband, your husband just had so much faith in you that, you know, dev, devil handle everything? Absolutely. He had no yeah. doubt that I could do it. And I'm looking at him because he was so brilliant. He kept everything in his mind. Yeah, and I was like, if if you're gonna have me do this someday, because he was a little heavy, he was not a little, he was a lot heavy, and I was like, someday he will pass away, but not early, not young. I said, Lou, put together a manual, an operating manual, like you used to do for the Air Force. Write it all down so that I have a book that I can go to. Right. Because I need, I need to feel it. You know, I need to see it. Yeah. You need the and, Bible. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. Well, yeah. You can, you know, the rest of that story. Yeah, he got too big and didn't do it. He actually put together a five page business plan, which really wasn't a business plan. It basically told me who the characters were, uh, who I should take care of, who I should work with. And and these are the guys you need to take the best care of because they pay the bills. Right, right. And does it like sell itself? 
almost or is it pretty really much yeah, yeah we did, we do not at, we did at the time we did not advertise at all it was all word of mouth uh we do have doctors we sell right now we sell to iherb and to swanson uh, mm-hmm. online uh, but most of my customers are are private individuals that are a little bit older sometimes and have had diabetes and they'll they'll talk to their doctors and it's funny with doctors a lot will will say you know it's a vitamin supplement they don't want anything to do with it but right. there are many more doctors coming online and coming around to see the benefits of, of supplements. And, and and you're not manufacturing though, are you? I have a manufacturer in California and I have one in New York. Oh, wow. Good for you. Yeah. And so you we, go. <laughs> we have three products and then we have a bent, a cream. We have a, a topical cream that I actually have another California lab that does those. And okay. we sell and it works. It does work, not like anything. It doesn't work for everybody, but it does right. work for a significant number of people. And so that was great because it also helped him. And it's being tested for Alzheimer's disease right now, which I think is is incredibly exciting yep. uh, because Alzheimer's is a form of, a, of nerves, a nerve issue. And uh, so I, it's a great thing. And, and and it was his passion, though. It was definitely like, his Would it work for shingles? Yes. Yeah. Uh, my mom had shingles, again, a nerve issue. Uh, sure. I say yeah, yes. Nerve now, pathway. Yeah. I've got to put that disclaimer that, you know, this is a vitamin. Not everybody. Yeah. It doesn't work for everybody, but the, it does work for a lot of good, a lot of people. And Interesting. I, would, I would say look at it. Our website, we have a new website called benfocomplete.com. And okay. we're working on that, and that's really exciting. So okay. it so, was okay. We'll go back to your story. Sorry, everybody. Because <laughs> <laughs> that was a typical part of the story because, yeah. When I was at I was at the end of the year, it was a school board meeting. All the treasurers got together to wrap up the books for the year, and I never had my phone on. I never take my phone to meetings like that. And I had gone out for a break about ten o'clock in the morning on April eighth, two thousand and ten, and my phone had blown up. I had messages, a dozen messages from my son, from my parents, from everybody. I was like, "What is going on?" And I I listened to my son's call first, and he said. I sat down. I said, Mom, he said, Mom, Dad just died. I'm coming home to take care of everything. Wow. Now, my son is at the time was 23 years old. Oh, my goodness. He, wow. That was my, oldest, was my oldest. And he was in pilot training in Corpus Christi, Texas at the time. Right. And I listened to that call and I sat down and I and then the next call was from my mother and dad. They live now, on- how, how, how did they know? Like, how did they get the information first? What, was he with his dad or? No, Lou had his phone. He had gone downstairs. He was traveling. He had left the day Wednesday, the day before he'd gone over to the, the West coast of Florida. He had a race car that he wanted to get it tuned up for a big race in Miami. So right. he had driven over there. He had dropped the car off at the, at the shop and he towed it over. He, and uh, he had his truck. He was driving his truck. And that morning he woke up at the hotel and he went downstairs for breakfast. And this, this was told to me later on, Um, but the gentleman he sat with at breakfast, he looked at me and said, here's my car. Here's my car keys. Please take my stuff over and put them in my car. Call 911. I'm having a heart attack. Wow. The gentleman did it. He called 911. It turns out Lou was about seven miles away from a hospital and the ambulance came and he died on the way. So you never had a heart issue before? No. Now, he was a big guy. He was yeah. 6'4", 350 pounds, but he had never had a heart issue. He'd even had um, gastric, the um, uh, lap band surgery. Oh, did and he? 
to prepare for lap band surgery, he had to see the cardiologist. Well, he walked in and he was this big guy and the cardiologist was saying, oh, there's no way your heart's going to you know, be prepared for this operation. Right. And it, it amazed the doctor that his heart was fine. And huh. honestly, we have a, a couple of heart doctors as customers, and it's very possible that benfotemine, which is very good for your heart, had helped his heart. I mean, he could have died years earlier. Um, and how, how old was he? He was 55. 55 years old. Wow. It was just Very short, short time. Just and, yeah. Well, and we're going to go to a commercial break, Debbie. So I'm going to stop you here. It's a good time to stop. Maybe uh, 55 years old, your husband passes away. Your 23 year old son is going to come home and look after everything. And you here have to hear this information over the telephone. Wow. We are going to commercial break folks. When we get back, you will hear more from Debbie. Just don't go anywhere. That's right. Don't stop listening. Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso will continue right after these messages. Stop. In today's business world, a helping hand or idea that doesn't come with an invoice is a treasured find. And if that happens to you, then you need to pay it forward to keep other entrepreneurs from making mistakes or getting a raw deal. It's called Paying It Forward with Josephine Girasi. Wednesday mornings at 10, 9 a.m. Central. Josephine is going to have the guests describe their accomplishments, the lessons they've learned, both good and bad, and then sharing those pieces of knowledge as we create a movement of Paying It Forward. For more information about Josephine, her business, and background, you can go to MyMomKnowsBest.com. Josephine Girasi has always been a problem solver. She saw this need and has turned it into a movement. It's Paying It Forward. With tips, tools, and advice, and hard lessons learned, these pieces of knowledge can make a huge difference for you, your business, and others. So join us for Paying It Forward with Josephine Girasi, Wednesday mornings at 10 a.m., 9 a.m. Central, on toginet.com. This is the Toginet Radio Network, broadcasting quality programming to the world. a book titled The Art of Doing Nothing by Veronica Vien in our guest room by the bed. I'm telling you, this book is an impossible challenge. In the state of Maine, it's said that someone who bottoms chairs for a living is lazy, presumably because one's bottom is perpetually in the chair. To sozzle means to laze around or perform a task in a sloppy way. The word is mainly found in New England. A quote from 1848 describes the term as used by housekeepers in certain parts of Connecticut to refer to a lazy person. Other words for lazy people are abbey lubbers, scabberlatchers, and slaughter pooches. To me, the ultimate lolly is someone who is too lazy to even fake like they're working. It's marching I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. And we're back. Thanks for sticking around. You are listening to Mission Unstoppable Radio. I am your host, Frankie Picasso. And today, my guest is Debbie Montgomery Johnson. Debbie, as you might remember, or if you're just tuning in, she was, um, I hate to say victim, but you were in, in sorts of victim to a romance scam to a predator, an online predator who actually had, um, you know, hurt you emotionally and financially and, and spiritually. So Debbie was just relating the story of her husband, 55 years old, had just passed away, as we said, and now we are back into your story. 
Well, and once I heard that Lou had died, um, my three older, I have four children. The youngest was 15 and the older three were 18, 21 and 23. The three older ones were either in school or they're in military flight school. So I started to worry about my youngest because I understood how, even though kids aren't supposed to have phones in school, that the, so with social media, things go very quickly and sure. stuff gets spread. And I did not want Matthew to find out that his dad had died via Facebook. Mm-hmm. So I had my friends bring me home and it was amazing how quickly word was spread because it, I was a half an hour from the house. And by the time I got home, people were here. And I was like, look, I have got to go over to the school to get Matt. And and I did. I went over there and I pulled him out of school. And he knew first time in his life I'd ever pulled him out of school without setting it up in, in advance. And he knew something sure. was wrong. And he'll tell you that that was for both of us. It was the most traumatic moment ever yeah. when, when I pulled him out of school and, and told him what had happened. And I brought him home. And it was overwhelming for him to to come here and just be around all the buzz. He actually he actually went back to school to go to football practice. He okay. needed some place where he could just get just an outlet, get his emotions out. And, yeah. and he did that for many years afterwards. I think of all my kids, it probably affected him the the most in such a different way because he was here and he felt the void of dad. Yeah. Uh, he'd walk into the house and dad wasn't here. So his, his outlet was playing football and physically smashing someone against the ground. Yeah. That makes sense. When, yeah. when your husband left the day that he left, was there, you know, did he have, I don't know, looking back on it all, let's say, was, was there any inkling or anything said or that could have prepared or made him think or anything that was going to happen untoward? No, the, the only amazing thing is though, about a week before our, our daughter, Jen, uh, called him up and Jenny always calls me how many daughters you know call home and say you know hey dad is mom there they don't right. talk to dad well she called dad and she started to cry and she said daddy I just want you to forgive me for all the times that I didn't sit and talk with you and she wow. was crying and Luke Luke said you know obviously he consoled her and said honey you know I, I love you I appreciate you and thank you so much for calling and then he called me and he said, did Jenny call you this morning thinking that I might have said call daddy? And mm-hmm. I said, no, what did she say? And he told me and I'm thinking, oh my gosh. And after he died, my son Charlie came in and I said, Charlie, this is an amazing thing. And Jenny had this inkling, this feeling that she needed to ask daddy to forgive her for something. And if she hadn't have done that and he had died, she'd be holding on to that today. Yeah. And that was, of all the kids, it, it was one time in their lives that everybody was good with dad. Because yeah. you know how teenagers are. They can get in his Absolutely. Business. Yeah. But everybody was good and there were no hard feelings. And everybody was, you know, had told dad that they loved him. And, and the only thing that was hard for me was that when he left that morning, he was supposed to be home the next day. Mm-hmm. So I probably gave him a quick kiss and a hug and, you know, shipped him off his way. But we never sure. saw him after that. Yeah. Uh, he, my parents, he lived, he died about a half an hour from where my parents lived and they were able to go over and take care of things on the West coast of Florida and arrange for the, the funeral home to, to do everything they needed to do to send him home. But we, we never saw him after that. And so for a while being in the air force, Lou was gone. I was gone. It was called TDY temporary duty. And for about six months, I just felt like he had gone on a TDY and was forgetting to call home. Yeah. That was the hardest part for me. Um, and then, of course, I had to learn how to run his company. That was a whole different story. Now I was, 
I was working my own day job and then I had to come home and I was thrown into running this business with a five page business plan. You know, uh, I want to, I want to stop you just for a second because you were very honest in the book and you, you said something that I think a lot of marriages go through and you said that you, you felt, you know, in some ways like a roommate with your husband, um, you know, going through the motions, kind of like a roommate, but you know, you have these kids, you have your lives, you're leading separate kind of, you know, you're doing your school thing. He's doing his race car thing. And, you know, you get together, you know, for whatever families get together for. But I mean, I think a lot of, a lot of marriages go through that after 25 years. Absolutely. Absolutely. That was, that was, I want to commend you for saying that. Well, that was something I, I, I had to really dig deep into me when I was writing the book. And my sister-in-law, bless her heart, she said, you know, you, you've got to explain where you were in your life and how, why this affected you the way it did. And, you know, marriages, if you've been married more than a day, you understand that yeah. it, it is difficult. And it, it is, is not, you know, 50-50. Sometimes it's 99-1, um, especially with kids. And, and I found through the years, uh, especially towards the end of Lou's life, I, I realized that we needed to find something to do together. We needed yeah. a hobby. We needed something because once the kids were out of the house, we were going to be two people living in the house with nothing in common anymore. Yeah. Uh, church and a few things. But I, I attempted to, to get involved in his race car stuff, and it really wasn't my bag. Right, right, <laughs> that, was, yeah. that was really funny because that was kind of the redneck side of him. And that's not a, you know, it's a term of endearment because he grew up in a really nice little town in central Florida. His father was a, a doctor, but he always wanted to distance himself from that side of it. Oh. And, and it was amazing that he, he loved that, you know, get your fingers dirty in his engine. And his race car was his baby. That was it was his outlet. Right. And he had a whole group of friends and the whole racing community was huge. Uh, that and he loved he loved um, his guns. He had a huge collection of guns, and he loved shooting with his buddies. Um, and I actually did like that. I, the kids and I were good at shooting. Um, mm-hmm. But I found that my life was the kids, and I did the Boy Scouts and the girls stuff, and I did so much for the kids that as Lou and I raised those kids, we were growing apart somewhat. Yes. Yeah. And and that's what I caution women wives because I think it, it's in, impinging upon us to recognize that you've got to nurture the hubby. I mean, Lou became another child to me in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. and our relationship was was not a husband wife. I mean, it was, but it wasn't. It was right. And we had his mother living with us for nine years. Add that oh, wow. to the complex of of life. Where's uh, your halo, my dear? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Somewhere, you know, my the rewards are in heaven. Yeah. Uh, but that's when I really learned, I think, over the years, here's my whole, you know, learn to be secret and hide behind the mask. Yes. Learning the security stuff and the secret business of being in the Air Force intelligence business and living in a place, in a home where I couldn't say much to my mother-in-law because if you hit her on the wrong day, it would be a lousy day. Oh, no. Uh, she, she was a wonderful woman, but she was a very difficult woman to live with. Mm-hmm. And so I would put on the mask. I would put on the, hi, I'm fine, hoping that it would be something, you know, that would, you would be on her. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think we do that too often. I, I know that a lot of women my age, I'm, you know, 58 right now, but a lot of us put on that smile, hoping to look perfect to the world. Yeah. And inside we're dying for some reason or another. And you know, I, I see it in my in my daughters in her age group now too. They're in their early twenties, and they're trying to be that great wife, and they don't want to you know complain when they've got something going on with the kids. But sometimes you need to vent in a 
in a constructive way. Right. Not in a nagging, constructive. And, and I wish I'd done that myself because I, I don't like contention. And well, did I, you need and a t-shirt that said women are people too? <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, Lou was a very bald guy, big guy yeah. in all sorts of ways. And I lost myself in a lot of that. Yeah, I lost my voice. And because I didn't want to have any contention, I just wanted to do what right. I needed to do. And I would keep myself busy. You know, I would say, I'm sorry. And I would keep myself busy. And I didn't recognize that until just this year, a friend of mine, like, you know, you've got some issues with, with being able to express who you are. Mm-hmm. And and it wasn't until he died that a friend of his came up to me and said, "So who are you now? Now what are you going to do?" Well, it's true because I mean, you you okay, you're not the wife anymore, nope. right? You're still a mom, but you're not the wife, and uh, you know you're not your job, and you're not any of those things. So you had invested everything into being Mrs. Montgomery. Right, exactly. Miss, in in raising these children, and your your station at the church, and, and in the community, and all of that stuff, and so now that's gone. So now, who are you? Exactly, and I and I in a way, I didn't feel like I fit into the groups at church anymore because it was very family oriented. And here I was like, mm-hmm. well, well, I'm you know I'm not the typical family. Although in time, I've been able to be the the voice of look. A lot of families are just mom or dad and kids. It's not right. mom and dad anymore. Or it's, you know, a divorced parent or a widowed parent. Um, families are so different than the tradition. And right. we just have to be able to fit in. But I didn't feel like I would fit in for a while. I would hang out with my my old friends who were like 80 who had yeah. lost spouse. I would be their, their date at a dinner or something. Oh. And I would go and, and do my time there like a half an hour, an hour, do what I felt was correct, politically correct. But sure. then I would go home because I, I felt... I felt safe at home, um, yeah. even though I was alone. I wasn't lonely, but I was alone. Right. And, and I, but my that's when my friends started to worry, and that leads into the next part of life where my girlfriends were like, "You need a life besides work." And, and you and you were losing weight, right? You were not starting I, not to eat and didn't recognize that. Yeah. So you were actually in a depression, but didn't really know it. Very much so, but I was too busy to recognize it. Yeah. And the losing weight, I was very heavy as a young, a young woman. And so for me, weight has been a real trigger issue. And so the losing weight was good for me because I would get on the scale. And for the first time, I was like at the weight I wanted to be, which was totally unrealistic for someone who's 5'8". Right. Uh, and again, it wasn't until one of my friends came in from out of town, one of Lou's friends who I loved. And he said, Deb, you look terrible. He said, you're gaunt and you're just too skinny. And I'm thinking, yeah, I look great in these skinny jeans. He goes, no, you don't. <laughs> and that hurt me. I think yeah. that was the first time anybody had really been honest and said, uh-uh, this isn't looking so good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Good for him. Well, it was good for him and good for my daughter because Jenny's like, mother, you know, my, my, uh, I guess top of my love, my eating list was a handful of M&Ms. And if okay. I wanted protein, I'd throw in peanut M&Ms with dark right. chocolate, you know, get, a, get the food groups. Yeah. And she said, it's not the scale. It's not the number on the scale. It's how you're feeling. It's your, it's the health of your body, not the weight. Sure. And I, you know, I, I knew that, but yeah. it, for me, it was, I'm not one that cares about eating much. And so I just did what I, I needed to do to keep my sugar up. So I wouldn't pass out. Wow. <laughs> not, not healthy, but that was my mode of operandi. Um, but I did swim. I swam every single day. So I was getting in shape. Uh, physically and mentally that helped me out because I would, it was almost rote. I would do the same number of laps the same way, this 
Right, you said that you like to do things that you like to do, have a um, uh, control control and a program like you like to have things, you know, like the military's front. Almost, exactly. Right? Well, that's yeah. why it was perfect for me in the military because I was nice yeah. and I and I had a routine. The routine. That's that's the word I was looking for. And even though the Air Force and the intelligence business, they don't want you to have a routine because they want you to shake it up in case. Well, this is back when we had the Cold War and we were you sure. Know, well, that's dangerous if you have a routine. Yeah, they didn't want to place at the same time every day, which is funny because my life right now, you could almost tell where I am at by what time it is on the clock. Where you know, if I'm at the gym or if I'm at the grocery store at home or whatever. So I needed to shake it up a little bit. And, right. uh, and that's hard because change can be uncomfortable. Right. And I, I had to learn to be uncomfortable. I mean, I had to learn to be comfortable being uncomfortable. That's it. That's it. We're about to go to another commercial break. And when we get back, Debbie is going to tell us how she managed to get online and, and meet the you know so-called perfect man. Uh, don't go away. Don't go anywhere because we're going to come right back and you're going to want to hear every bit of this story. That's right. Don't stop listening. Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso will continue right after these messages. Stop. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert Annette Hammond. Harvard Medical School writes that if you are having an occasional twinge of joint pain when you climb the stairs or go for a walk, or if you are worried about arthritis because your parents have it, one step toward prevention is to check your weight. Being overweight raises your risk for developing osteoarthritis, which is the most common joint disorder, and it's caused by wear and tear on a joint. Excess weight puts added stress on weight-bearing joints like your knee, and the inflammatory factors associated with weight gain may contribute pain in other joints of your body. Being overweight opens you up to many problems, so with all diligence, keep your weight down. Daily exercise and healthy, low-calorie eating will keep the extra weight off and promote good health in your life. I'm Annette Hammond. If you're a fan of Fitness Minute, like us on Facebook at Fitness Minute with Annette Hammond. It's Here's some fun facts about noses and ears I'll bet you didn't know. Did you know your ears secrete more earwax when you're afraid than when you aren't? And generally, people with asthma have better hearing than those who don't. Now, here's a word for you. When someone gets their ears pierced, they're actually piercing their pinna. The pinna is the fleshy part of the earlobe. Did you know it's possible to sneeze so hard you can break a rib? That happened to my husband's secretary once. And according to research, you'll blow your nose 250 times this year. Scientists have also determined that the smell in your right nostril is more pleasant, while the smell in your left nostril is more accurate. By the way, twice as many men as women can wiggle their ears. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. And you're listening to Mission Unstoppable Radio. I am your host, Frankie Picasso. Thanks for sticking around with us. We sure are glad that you have. Debbie uh, Montgomery Johnson is our guest today. She is the author of a book, The Woman Behind the Smile. And now she's smiling for real because she is showing her true self to, to herself and to all of us. And we certainly appreciate that. And it's a wonderful thing to be able to do. Uh, Debbie, in your story, your husband has passed away. Uh, you are learning to run his business. You're, you know, you 
kind of been in a depression. You lost a bunch of weight, but you're in a routine. Um, and now, you know, your girlfriends are going, okay, it's time. You've been alone long enough. Let's go find you somebody to date. Now, dating must have been a little bit scary because it's probably been about 25 years. You had been married 25 years. It probably been that long since you'd gone on a date. Uh, dating's scary. And it's a whole lot different today than it was when I was 16. Yeah, so, for sure. Even 24, 25. It, yeah, it, it is totally different. But, you know, I, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't party, I don't go to bars. So that got rid guess, of that. And, you, and, and you're Mormon, so you probably don't drink coffee. Either. I don't, but I drink a lot of cocoa. So I'll have oh, Okay, there you go. <laughs> um, but I was not going to be hanging out somewhere just to meet somebody. Right. Um, and my friends knew that. And so they said, well, you know, you're at home, you're on your computer, you ought to try this online dating. Mm-hmm. And I was a little bit leery, but I had had some girlfriends who had met men and they'd end up marrying them, which I figured, well, heck, you yeah. know, if these guys had found somebody, then why not try it? And so I looked for some safe sites. I wanted something that was faith-based because I wanted someone that was genuine and kind. Sure. And I felt like, you know, I went to the places that these girls had gone to and I looked at the other stuff too. And I'm sure there's some value to many of those sites, but they weren't just, they weren't my kind not at 52, different when you're looking at 25, 26, sure. 52. So I went to, uh, went to one site and I thought it was safe. I read all the disclaimers and everything. And, and I got on the site and I was looking around and it was really crazy because I'm thinking, oh my gosh, who would want to date some of these men? Mm-hmm. You know, if you think about it, they're, they're showing up and their pictures are, are, well, I'm being very judgmental here because I could be at that point. I was looking for someone for me, but I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to look for somebody or talk to somebody that was hanging out with multiple women or was there with his car and his white, what I call the white beater t-shirt and the beer cans and all that. That just wasn't for me. Well, you know, a lot of times men will put that picture up with the truck and the fish yeah, yeah on their dating profile. And I, and I think subliminally it says, you know, hunter gatherer, um, yeah. but, <laughs> but almost like you can, you, you know, you can almost be guaranteed you're going to find that one. Okay. Well, exactly. And I don't mind a guy that's an outdoorsy kind of guy, but sure. I'm not going to spend my life fishing or running around in a truck, even though. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Um, so, I, and I was looking for guys that could, could speak, could write, could, yes, that's very difficult to find too. And uh, so when I, when I lit on this one guy, um, he actually found me, he was 55. He was a widow, widow widower. Yeah, his picture was wonderful. He was a yeah. very guy. Very and handsome. He was from London and international business. And he, you know, he had a son. And, and at that point, I was like, okay, so what's the age range of the kids that I would be willing to get involved with again? Because my kids, again, were 15 and up. And I didn't want to start over. I, you know, sure. I, had, I had girlfriends that were that met men online and they all had you know, young babies again. I'm like, no, I want to get to the grandma stage. <laughs> yeah. I want that. So his son was, t- I think 10 and that was, that was okay. Um, so his name was Eric and Eric wrote to me and we can, you know how you do the little flirt stuff. So sure. we did back and forth. And then he came on and wrote me a really lovely note. And that started our, our friendship and our relationship. And, you know, the way that you expressed it at the beginning about being scammed and this predator and whatever, mm-hmm. Eric was not that person. Um, he was genuinely a, a kind man to me. And he listened. It was amazing because I have an, I had an online journal. And I would take our conversations either on the website. But we, we soon got off the website because he said he was traveling and he wanted to go into Yahoo Chat. And I didn't know anything about Yahoo Chat, so he set me up, and it's 
I love to type and I love to write and we would be online for hours and hours and hours. And I would take everything that he wrote and that I wrote and I would copy and paste it into my online journal mm-hmm. thinking that this is great family history. You know, one day if this works out, it'll show the kids how Eric and I met. And by the end of the two year relationship, I had 4,000 pages of journal. Wow. It was amazing. But he listened to me. He wrote to me. And I found out just this year that that one of my biggest holes in my heart was when during my 26 years of marriage that Lou didn't really listen to me. Right. And that's, you know, and I, I think that's how they do it, though. I mean, that's part of the scam, right? Is, it, is, is. Yeah, but and, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's unfortunate. I mean, it's so unfortunate that... Um, you know, you got caught up in that and well, and that's the, the FBI but they're professional, they're professional oh, at it. Exactly. We want and, women to understand that, that they really are professionals and they're taught in school for this, how to do it. They, and the FBI told me, they said, look, you were victimized. And I'm like, no, I'm not a victim. They said, no, he is very manipulative and that's what they do. But for me, I was so naive to online um, you were naive yeah. and you were right for it because your husband had kind of ignored you for a while. Exactly. You know? And now here's come, come somebody who's paying you lots of attention, which is wonderful. Yeah. You're saying all the right words, which you long to hear. Like right. there's no way any of us would have not been, you know, uh, caught up in it. And we're all such helpers. We want to be there. We're nurturers and we want right. to give. And he, Someone asked if, if he knew what business I was in because he was he was a hardwood tree broker and I own trees in Costa Rica. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know what? There's no way he could have found that out about me because it's not publicized anywhere. It was not public. And um, he knew all about that business? He knew. Well, that was his business. And so yeah. when I said I had trees in Costa Rica, it just fed right into the story. Like, well, this, sure. is, not, this is amazing to me that he's in the same business. Right. Um, and so it was little by little that, you know, he, he brought me into his life and I brought him into mine. And, and it was an, an incredible, and the most amazing thing is when, when I would speak to him on the phone, which wasn't often, but when, even in writing, my heart would just like beat out of my chest. It was like I was 16 or yes. that first love again. Yes. It's just the excitement of it. Because like you said, I'd been married for so long that if you don't nurture your, your marriage, you're going to lose that fresh yeah. love feeling. Yeah. And, uh, and, and he just, he, here's the warning sign. If you're out there dating again and you're a widow, don't put down your, you're a widow. Mm-hmm. And really don't put down that you're divorced. Because I found out later on that they go for the new profiles and they go specifically for the widows. And then the next, I think, the women that have been divorced because they know that you, you've been hurt mm-hmm. somehow. Yeah. And not only that, they actually operate in cells and they fly people over to the cities that people are from, like Houston or New York, and they they familiarize themselves with the landscape and the bars and the scene, and then they're able to talk. Like I'm, well, yeah, I'm originally from Houston, but I live overseas now, and yeah. I'm working overseas. And they are able to tell you exactly, you know, what the high school was like, what the you know the supermarket was like, and stuff. And so you, as you're you know questioning, if you get that little uh, you know question mark in there, it's kind of like, oh, they've got the answers. Yeah. Well, and see, I question more about where what the stuff in London. Mm-hmm. And when I, I actually got to be very good friends with his sister, because I would be instant messaging her. And so I was using her to find out a lot of information about him mm-hmm. and vice versa. 
because I was creating this family. I mean, it was the most amazing right. thing. There were nights when I would be in an in Yahoo chat with him, one with Mary and Kenny, who was his son, and then uh, his attorney, Peter. Uh, we'd be, I'd have a three-way conversation going. And, and was he all of them? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how he could have been because I am really fast in typing and I was zipping back and forth between the three of them. Um, it's very possible it was him mm-hmm. because there were times when I would, when I would have those moments of, you know, is this really right? And I would question him on something that I'd said or that he had said, and he'd pick right back up on the story. Wow. He didn't miss a beat. So there were moments, you know, people say, well, were there red flags? There were probably pink or yellow flags for me. There was never a red flag, but there were times he would send me pictures of his home mm-hmm. and then he would give me the address. Well, I was an imagery analyst for the Air Force. So I picked up Google Earth yep. and, I, and I looked at the at the address and then I tried to visualize those rooms in that house or in that location. And there were some that didn't didn't fly. Um, yeah. And I would question it. And, and I sent a package over to his sister and it got returned and I would question that. And he'd always have an answer. He'd always have a, a sure. comeback. Um, it wasn't until he was over in the, on the, in the far East, I think he was in Hong Kong at the time and he was in this hotel and he gave me the address. I sent an express package over. I had some things for the holidays that I wanted him to have and it got sent back. So I, I asked him, I said, what's going on? He goes, Oh, it was just a mail glitch. So I contacted the hotel yes. and said, look, he's in room 308 and, yada, yada. and the guy writes back to me, goes, Mrs. Montgomery, he goes, we don't have a guest by that name here. Right. And, and that like, didn't t- tinge you at all? You didn't go, it, oh. it was a really a weird thing. That was towards the end. That was kind of a strange thing. Um, but again, you know, I believed him. There was no reason for me not to trust him. But your sons didn't trust him, did they? No, my boys didn't. You know, they were yeah. off, off the bat. But, you know, they were being the protectors, too. Sure. And, and I actually got mad at the boys because yeah. they were to interfere. And I said, look, I'm the adult here. Leave me alone. Right. Well, that was humble pie later on. And I really yeah. had to apologize to the boys. Um, and I think that that was the hardest thing for me at the end too, is to, to understand how I'd hurt the boys by not trusting them. Right. And they were not there to protect me and they felt terrible about that. So we have a totally different relationship now as adult children and, and, you know, adult mom. Um, and I wish I'd learned from them, but I have a girlfriend, cute friend who said, you know, if you could go back would you do that again? Could I have done something differently to have stopped you? And I said, no, I don't, I don't think anybody could have stopped me. And that's the, that's what I caution women that I talk to today. I said, I can't stop you from doing what you're doing, but I hope you would just listen to my story because I don't want anybody to get as hurt as I was. Through yeah. I mean, you were on a freight train for love, right? I and nothing was, was going to stop that train. <laughs> but, and I wasn't desperate for love because right. I'd been married for a long time, but I was, I really enjoyed the companionship of and the friendship and just the, the speaking and the typing, the writing. I mean, it was very therapeutic to write things out. So. I'm sorry. We're going to another commercial break. We will be right back and we'll hear the end of Debbie's story. Don't go anywhere. That's right. Don't stop listening. Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso will continue right after these messages. Welcome to Geraldine Tegelove Live, the show that shares with you the secrets of redefining, reinventing, and rebuilding your life. Having pulled herself from the rubble of financial ruin and having gone on to create a highly successful career, Geraldine has become an expert in the art of transformation. 
She believes that it doesn't matter where you are right now, how overwhelmed you feel, or how impossible the task of turning your life around may seem. You can do it. Stay tuned as metaphysician, international best-selling author, and intuitive Geraldine Tegelov gives you the inner understanding and the outer practical how-to to create your amazing life. Gain a fresh perspective on how to redefine, reinvent, and rebuild your life. Join Geraldine Tegelov live every Tuesday evening at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on the Toginet Radio Network. This is the Toginet Radio Network. Radio with a cutting edge. It's marching I had a weird weekend relaxing and reading through mental floss when I came across these rip roaring R words. I recognized a few of them, such as the old 18th century Scottish word ramfizzled, which means fatigued or exhausted. A couple more great R words are. Ruckitly tuckitly, meaning crumpled or gathered up and ruched. Ruch is commonly used today to describe a flattering blouse or top. Rabbity is a 16th century word for an innocent fool, while Raffle Coppin is a rash, impetuous person, or maybe just somebody that gets carried away with our words. It's marching I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. And we're back. It's Mission Unstoppable Radio. I am your host, Frankie Picasso, and we are learning all about internet romance scams and with our guest debbie montgomery johnson she is the author again of the woman behind the smile and her website is the same name so you can go to the woman behind the smile.com debbie um this is our, our our we're in the last segment i can't believe how quickly it's it's gone today um in the end after everything was said and done you passed over uh, over a million dollars to this man never I having think- met him I did. It was slowly but surely. And if anybody would know me, they would understand that I don't give money away freely. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm generous, but I do not give money away freely. But he he became my life. Mm-hmm. And I would have given anything to my husband. I would have given anything to my children. He became my life. And I trusted him with my life. And, uh, you know. So how were you able to go on after giving away all, all of this money? Well, the, the hardest part was the day that I found out what he had done. Mm-hmm. And if I could, if I could just, you know, yeah, let's go story. there. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, I woke up that morning and he come online and he said, Deb, we need to talk. And I hate when people say that because something bad's usually happening. Sure. He goes, how do you feel about forgiveness? Well, I'm a very spiritual person. I work, you know, very closely with a lot of women at church. And, and I, so I put on my spiritual hat and my scriptures now. And I, we talked for hours about forgiveness and how I felt about it. And then we got disconnected for a few hours. And he came back on. And he goes, do you remember what I was talking about? And I said, yes. And he said, how do you feel about forgiveness? And I'm like, Eric, did I do something wrong? I said, mm-hmm. what is going on? And he said, no. He said, I have something to tell you and it's going to hurt you. And I need you to know, I need for you to, I need to know that you forgive me. And he and I said, so what's what's going on? And he said, Deb, this has all been a scam. And at that point, I'm listening. I'm reading what he's saying. I'm saying, prove it. I said, 
something's got to be terribly wrong now. You're lying to me. And he goes, no, I want, I want to come online and I want to show you who I am. He said, on Yahoo Chat, there's a little camera and we can come on live. I didn't know that. Again, totally naive. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay. So I had, I had my phone beside me, my cell phone, and I was looking at the picture of my Eric, this handsome Brit, sure. and online in this little square camera, uh, it pops up live. And I'm looking at this young, dark haired, dark guy, dark skinned young man. And he's from Nigeria. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what has just happened? And instantly, my two-year love affair with Eric was over. And I'm, my Intel hat goes on. And I'm looking at this young man saying, how am I going to get my money back? How am I going to turn him in? What is going to happen? And he's smiling. And he's like, this is great. Can we keep this going? And I'm like, are you out of your mind? Mm-hmm. And he said, no. He said, you know, I said, why would you want to keep this going? Well, he'd actually fallen in love with me. And <laughs> he, did, he didn't want to scam me anymore because he knew it was going to hurt me. Right. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, you're out of your freaking mind. Excuse my friends. I'm like, but I didn't want him to know that. I said, you know, he goes, is it because I'm black? And I'm thinking, well, no, not really. I said, you've scammed me for over a million dollars. That's right. the problem. And he's like, well, I'll pay you back. I'll, I can't get it all, but I'll get, I'll get it back to you at some point. I'm thinking, uh, yeah, fine. You know, and I, I probably trust him. I think someday I'm waiting for that check to come. Yeah. But at the same time, I took my camera and I took a picture of my screen. So mm-hmm. in the book, there is actually a picture of the real person and his name is Joseph. Right. So Joseph was the scammer. Joseph was the, the online predator. Eric was the man that I fell in love with. Right. And there are two different people. And it was amazing how in an instant I could shut off Eric and look at Joseph and have no love. Or and er- Eric is, you know, is a victim of identity theft. He so, is. And yeah. I would, you know, bless his heart, whoever that picture. And that's the, that's a big thing. Don't trust the pictures because no. I had pictures of people that they exist, but they weren't the person that I was talking with. Yeah. And, and, and the so, thing with, with the, with, you know, those pictures and getting those pictures um, is, you know, I, I had it happen once on online and I teach people about online romance scams and how to avoid them. But one of the, one of the interesting things is, is that I, I had a young guy and he was super handsome, super handsome. And I'm like, Oh my God, why would this guy write to me? You know, yeah. like, come on. <laughs> and, and that was, that was, you know, clue number one, as far as I was concerned, because like, that's just a little bit too much for me, but you know what? It's possible. Anything's possible in this world. Um, but yeah. And, and your experience was, let, let's go through it a little bit because basically they all run the same. They're over, they're always overseas. They have a business opportunity. Um, either they, they, you know, they're beat up for their, their paycheck or they need money to do this. And somehow they don't have money, but they're running a company, but let's use your money. Send me some money, my money. I can't get to it, but your money I can. And, you know, we'll run with it. Well, Eric's story was that he was, he was in the process of this big job in Malaysia and he was moving trees from India uh, to India. Mm-hmm. And so I understood from a contractor's point of view, you're not going to get paid until the job's done. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, and that's what, that's what was happening all along. There would be hit hookups in uh, customs or in power attorneys or in something that needed to be done. And that, you know, my legal background had, it was like, why is it so expensive for a power attorney when I can get online and do one? You right. Know, for $10. Why is and it did $10? you ever ask him like, if, if, if you weren't there, how would he get the money? 
I didn't go there because, again, he was it for me. Yeah. You know, this was two years. I this went there. Not 30 days. <laughs> yeah. I was two years into this thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it was every day. He was in my life every day. Yeah. And you were just waiting for him to come home and start that life. Exactly. Exactly. And I had no reason to not believe that was going to, that, you know, that wasn't sure. going to happen. No reason. So now, 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 you, you know, please forgive me, Debbie. I've scammed I, you for the last two years and taken a million dollars, but you forgive me, right? Well, I, I don't know if he had had some sort of spiritual epiphany and he just felt, felt like someday he was going to have to, you know, respond to the big guy about it. And yeah. I'm like, you know what? I have to forgive you um, for me so right. that I can move on. I, I understood that about forgiveness because, you know, living with my mother-in-law, she was not a forgiving person and it was miserable. Yeah. And, and I didn't want to be that person. I did not want to be the person that felt, first off, they got scammed and victimized and then lived it every day because I couldn't let it go. And your children and were able to forgive you? They were. Once the story came out, it took me years to tell uh -huh. the story. Right. Uh, my mother and dad knew right off the bat. They came over because they had gotten involved and they went they to the sound amazing. Your parents, by the way, they were, they are, they're totally amazing. And my father yeah. wanted to write a, a chapter in my book. That'll be nice. The next. Yeah. Um, but they were totally amazing, but it took many, many years for me to acknowledge really what had happened. When my friends asked where he went, I'm like, Oh, it just didn't work out. Well, they didn't yeah. believe that for anything. Yeah. Uh, but I just, I felt so stupid for some, so such a smart, intelligent well-educated woman mm -hmm. to have been taken so badly. Um, I just didn't want to tell. And it wasn't until a couple years ago, I was at a speaker training with some close friends of mine and somebody mentioned online dating and I must've rolled my eyes and mm. she said, what's behind that. And I told her my story and that was a Friday. And by Sunday I'd gone to learn how to speak better about my company, but she said, you've got to tell the story. There are too many women and men that are mm. being taken out there that, don't want to talk about it. You have to be the mouthpiece. And so by Monday, you had a book? <laughs> no, by, but by Sunday, I had given my end of my story and, and I invited everybody to the movie premiere of The Woman Behind the Smile. And, and they're like, when's the movie? I'm like, you guys, I just made that up. And they're like, no, there will be a movie called The Woman Behind the Smile. Yes. And I don't know when it's going to be, but that has led to so many things. And there is talk. We have to find the right person to do it. Um, but it's not the regular catfish story because he actually revealed himself to me. Yes. And they never do that. Yeah. So yeah. that's the amazing thing. And I, and I, you know, I have to be grateful to him for doing that. Yeah. Because if he had walked away, it would have been worse than Lou dying. Yeah. Because I'd been involved and a participant in it. And I yes. would have, I would have been looking for him for the rest of my life. So let's give a happy ending to this story. You have since remarried. I have. I've married the most wonderful man, and everybody wants me to clone him. Uh, he, <laughs> had been he had been married. We actually met through friends, and okay. one of the friends was a matchmaker, and oh. she had done some homework, um, and you know, he tried to put together very busy executives because he's sure. got time to go out and date. And he had been married uh, 28 years, divorced with two children, um, good friends with his wife because of the kids, so that, that's a happy thing. Sure. But he never wanted to get remarried. And we started to, I met him on a Friday night and that weekend I had three other dates with other people. Never had done that in my life. Wow. By Sunday, I was heading home from uh, going to the gardens with one fella. And so he calls me up and he says, Hey, what are you doing? I'm like, well, I'm heading home. And he said, let's have dinner. So we went and had Denny's dinner. It's like a little breakfast place for dinner. Sure. And he told me his story 
Um, he'd been in recovery and he wanted to be completely honest with me. And I said, okay, so if we're going to be completely honest, here's my story. And I told him mine. And after that date, I never saw anybody else. Wow. So we were together from that point on. We dated three years and then we've been married a year. Um, just the Congratulations. most, thank you. The most marvelous man. And so supportive of me telling my story. Nice. Because awesome. he realizes that to be whole, healthy, and happy, you have to be completely honest. And and I needed to do that. And and if I can help one person, then my day's been made. Oh, because, I'm sure you're helping a ton of people right now. Well, I hope so. I just I get frustrated sometimes when I see the web of deceit that's out there. Yes. And how it's affecting like you teach online safety. I yeah. I worry about our children. You know, the kids we're giving telephones to at age ten then their pictures are everywhere and their location is everywhere. I get, exactly. I get worried about that. And that's, that's my next, you know, the next stand up will be it's stand up for online security for children. Is Absolutely. Be the part of the predator project, and especially women online, you know, with taking pictures with their children and then telling people where they live. So oh, now we know yeah. where you live with your kid and what they look like. Well, we've only got, we've got, you know, 30 seconds left. So Debbie, yeah. let me thank you so much for coming on and being my guest today. Again, it's the woman behind the smile. You can go and, and to her website. You can order the book off of Amazon. It's an ebook and learn much more than, than we've told here about her story. And thanks again for coming on the show. Thanks, Frankie. I appreciate it. No worries. We'll be back again next week with another unstoppable story. See you then. Don't stop. When the chips were down, they didn't stop. Stories of people who, when the odds were against them, turned defeat into victory. You've been listening to Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso. See you next time, and always remember... Don't, 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 don't stop.